Hello and welcome to Into Your Life podcast. I'm Lenka and I'm joined here by my wonderful co-host Natalie. Hi, we invite you to join our weekly conversations about finding more life in one's life. Well, what does it actually mean? We have discussions with guests about ways to live happier, healthier and more fulfilling lives, both personally and professionally. That sounds great. Let's go. So I am excited today. We have a very international call today. We're in the UK, we're in the Czech Republic, and we have somebody who has over the airways flown in from Colorado, United States. It's really great. And I love it when we get this multinational audience or guests here and voices and accents But today I want to introduce you to Gary. I have known Gary for nearly two years. It's not quite two years, but nearly two years. And Gary was introduced to me via somebody in South Africa who was introduced to me from somebody in Wales. And it just goes to show what COVID has done is I would not have met the Welsh person, then the South African, and then met Gary if it hadn't been for the world totally changing. And I asked him to come here because, well, it's just lovely talking to Gary. I love speaking to him. He's a font of information and stories, but he always talks about a beaver. And in all the years that I've known him, I've never known the beaver story. So today he's coming to talk about the beaver story and anything else and any nuggets that he can share. So welcome, Gary. Share share with us a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and let's see where this conversation goes. Well, Natalie, thank you so much. You know, it's it's an honor to to be here with you and Lenka. Uh, you know, I'm the kid next door. Uh, it, I I tell I train speakers, I train business owners, I have an international business. Um, but I tell people that once they start believing their own PR, they're in trouble. And I, it, it just are the things we have done. What right? And I, one of my other Garyisms is what we see as ordinary, other people see as extraordinary. But what I want people to understand is that whatever I have done, they can do too. So if I can do it, they can do it. So. It's, um, I have been building businesses my entire life. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. I am older, not old. Uh, but I had a career in uh, real estate, very successful, and then built one of the very first financial planning firms in the United States uh, before there was an industry along that and built it to the top 3% in production as a solo producer in the U.S., without even knowing that I did it. I just knew that I had built a lifestyle that my family enjoyed. I didn't really participate with it. I was too busy creating it, which, by the way, was a mistake. Um, and then sold it about 15 years ago. And people kept asking me, how did I build my businesses? And I've been speaking my entire life because my college background was theology and psychology. So I tell everybody I argued with myself from a very early age. And so it is, it's one of those things of, uh, I hate writing, but I'm credited now with 10 books. Uh, you know, they just hit, and everybody has a story, by the way. Anybody that is listening to this, please, 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 if you don't take anything away, I'll get it out right now. Write your book. 
because what your experience is, is so valuable to someone. And really, the book is not about you. You are the subject, but not the message. And in writing your book, in essence, you're giving someone the breadcrumbs of what may be the, the significant permission for them to take their next step into their destiny. And so it's not about ego. It's just truly about sharing and connecting. And, you know, so thank you for the opportunity to be here with you both. And I love how you've just already given a Garyism and and a nugget of write your book. I love that. And I often hear you talking about writing a book and write and you encourage all your clients to write books. And I know that you've helped me to write my first book. And I'm sure you'll be pushing me or prodding me or kicking me or encouraging. There it is, encouraging me to do my second book. But it is it is you are right there is a book in everybody and as you said it's the experiences that we think are ordinary can help somebody be extraordinary the the other benefit here is with in regards to family my boys come to hear me speak to hear stories that i think i have told them and so allowing your story to be beneficial to generations that you won't be on the planet to meet is also something, also something that's beneficial. Because I know here in the States, there is a common thing of in every house, there is a box in a closet full of photographs. The people that we know, they're relatives, but we have no clue who they are. We don't know their story. We don't have a heritage. Now you in Europe, you guys have more of that connection to history. Here in the U.S., we don't. And particularly since our old houses are your new houses. But, you know, <laughs> that way. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a really neat way of sharing. And really, in business or in uh, the speaking world, it's about storytelling. Because that's how generations have passed on wisdom is through the power of story not the power of facts and so we have this tendency to think we have to be writing war and peace and it isn't it's just about sharing you sharing your insights sharing you know and this is that in anything we do it's about connecting and having and building relationships it's not about converting and so, and isn't this a little bit about what your Beaver book is about? Is sharing you? It's your experience that you've gone through, and that you've. And do correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will. Is the Beaver book your first one? Is that the yeah. first book you wrote? So, you talk about sharing. So share about the Beaver and what the Beaver, how the Beaver has helped you. Uh, by the way, I never really connected that there could be double meanings about the word beaver until I was speaking one day and there was a, a man in the front row started to giggle and then the giggle went all the way through the audience and, you know, it was one of those things I looked at him and I go, really, dude? And, um, but at my events that I produce, I give away beavers and ladies have, you know, they have the little tassel, there's little hooks. And I know people can't see it, but little beavers and there's a hook 
and they would be at the airport. They attach it to their purse or whatever, take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. Gary, me and my beaver are at the airport going to Cincinnati. And I'm going, really? So anyway, what the beaver story is, is in 1988, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I was told that I would be dead or within or dead or in a wheelchair within 10 years. So obviously I don't take direction well because I'm still here. And so I knew about, and when I had the uh, diagnosis, uh, I had one of the very first MRIs ever in the state of Colorado, brand new exam. And, uh, you know, they have said, go home, enjoy your boys for as long as you can. Uh, but you you don't have a, you know, but what was interesting, I was right in the middle of my financial planning career and it wasn't on my calendar. I didn't have time for this. This was a detour. This was a road bump. This was a yield sign. And I went, no. So I'm laying in bed one night and I'm thinking about what I could visualize and this was 88. You think back in 1980, there was not a lot of talk about visualization. So I'm on the early cusp of all this stuff. And I knew about a gentleman named Norman Cousins. And he had an ailment and he put himself into remission with laugh therapy. And I also knew that there were individuals that uh, had been diagnosed with cancer that was using the Pac-Man, the old video game image, they had go in and eat up all the bad cancer cells. And I, I that didn't make sense to me because I knew just enough about the, the diagnosis that the coating around our nerves some for some reason dissolves. And then the nerves touch like wires and they short out and that message just does not go. So I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, okay, what can I visualize? And all of a sudden an image of a beaver shows up. And now my, my, my guide, if you want, my animal that I've always related to are eagles, not a rodent. And so I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, what the heck? You can tell him a little bit of a nut anyway. And he comes over and turns around and takes his tail and starts patching up the myelon sheath, that coating. And I'm going, oh, okay. Well, the next night he comes back. The next night he comes back. And as I've always said, if one beaver is good, more is better. And so I expanded the visualization with all kinds of beavers, the workmen, the payroll office, the foreman, everybody working around the clock, doing nothing but patching up the myelon sheath. And I would stay in that visualization two to two and a half hours every night going to bed. Now, what I didn't say is at that moment, I had no feelings from the neck down. I had lost everything. I couldn't write. I, might, I would take a crayon and hold a, you know, and basically do an X. For a, I, I could, if I couldn't see my feet, I'd fall down and trip over things that weren't there. And so I was dealing with the the symptoms that the outpouring of the body, what it was reacting to, all the while I was thinking about the, the beavers. And I started feeling guilty because I was receiving, but I was not giving. And so I expanded the visualization to where I created parks, homes, churches, uh, shopping centers, all the stuff that the beavers needed. So I was serving them as they were serving me. 
And it took about, you know, eight, nine months while I was still numb before I started getting any feeling back at all. And even today, I have no feeling. I have pressure in my hands. I have very little feelings in my feet and legs. So I've fallen off two stages. You know, it's just like, whatever. I bump into walls. You know, it just, you know, makes me really happy. Um, but about five years after that, I uh, had a uh, underwriter of an insurance company tell me that he wanted me to go and have a second MRI. And for anybody that's had one, you know how much fun they are. And so I went in with a new neurologist and the second neurologist had the film of both. And he said, this is impossible. 95 plus percent of the lesions, the scar tissue that will never go away was no longer on my brain. And he said this, but you still have. The one key thing that I want to really emphasize within the story is I never owned the diagnosis. I've never said I have. And I think, you know, I was working with somebody yesterday about this. And I said, what is the difference between broke and poor? Broke is a point in time. Poor is a state of mind. And so once we own something, the state of mind, you are destined to go there. And when we have this freedom to say, okay, this is someone else's opinion, even though, like even today, if I, I was gifted a tool to do buttons, if I didn't have that tool, when I'd go to a hotel, the staff at the front desk would have to do my buttons. And after a while, if I go back to the same hotel, the girls would start arguing who got to help me, which is good. You know, but the thing is, is that I didn't allow the diagnosis to become my identity. It became part of my story. And so the the Beaver book, which by the way, is not the original title, the Beaver book is, you know, an adversity book. I wrote it, it, so I'm the subject, but I am not the message. And so because of that, this book has gone around the world. This book has taken me to PBS. TEDx actually called me to do TEDx because of this. And for those, you, you guys can't see this, but this is not war and peace. The, the, you know, this, this is the, you know, about 130 pages. And for those of you that will take my encouragement to write a book, that's about the size. You don't want to go more than about 150 pages today because people don't have time to take more than that. And people don't have a, usually a habit of reading anyway. So I'm going to take a breath. This is supposed to be a conversation. But you have so much to offer. I absolutely love listening. And you're making such an important point about you know the power of the mind and the power of our determination. And I think it is important, I would say now more than ever, because we see so many people labeling themselves, receiving diagnoses or self-diagnosing themselves and using labels as an excuse, as a reason to stay in their victimhood, as a reason to avoid doing stuff. And what we know from you know, psychology and neuroscience and all these wonderful scientists, sciences is that we do need to put in the effort you did put a nine months worth of effort into your situation. You didn't accept the diagnosis, but you didn't also just sit and visualize saying, I will be healthy. 
you did the hard work, you did the steps. And I think so many people who are just putting the tag, well, I am ADHD, I am this, I am that, are really just perpetuating the problem by not really doing the work that is necessary to. Yes, you might have a clinical diagnosis, but I love how you distinguish between I have between the perception on it. You know, and the other side is that I did this without any guarantee that it was going to make a difference. And so it's one of another one of the Garyisms that I teach is launch and adjust. And by the way, Garyisms is not something I created. My clients started saying, okay, this is a Garyism. This is a Garyism. So it's one of the books that I'm actually redoing now. But it's that rarely in another one of my little sayings is you can never see the path over the mountain from the valley. And so people are just waiting for this aha moment when the aha moment cannot be seen by where they are. And so the the launch and adjust doesn't mean that it, it's something that you just haphazardly, you know, go into the future, spend a bunch of money hoping but it, the reality is that uh, I love flying. And so I ask audiences all the time, when is an airplane 100% on course? When would you say? Well, I heard a story about, I think it was one of the space shuttle, was it Apollo 13? That I think it was fantastic, something like 93% of the time it was off course. So it was kind of like zigzagging and always course correcting, course correcting. So if at any given time, pretty much along the journey, it is, of course, is it something like that? Well, you're right. Actually, uh, I have flown. And so airplanes are 99% of the time off course. When you're driving an automobile, it's 99% off course. You're constantly auto-correcting this. But there is a time when it's 100% on course, and that's when it's on the ground not doing what it was created to do within its destiny. And so how many people, and, and by the way, when it's in the air, when it's doing what it was created to do, that's where the danger is. That's where adversity lies. That's where the excitement is. Ex we know that excitement and fear, the brain waves are identical. So, you know, the, the inscription that I write in the Beaver book is life is an adventure. Enjoy the ride. Now, what we have to understand is that adventure can be a negative as well. It's never a level playing field. And what you were talking about, the zigzagging, there's another illustration of when uh, a person is sailing a sailboat. Success is never a straight line. So the question is, how can you sail a sailboat into the wind? Do you know? That's the launch and adjust. You 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 have to constantly be a comp you doing something with the rigging and the sails. Uh, uh, there is a nautical term to it, but it is basically you're constantly shifting the sails and turning the wheel to to be in the in in the wind. Um, but yeah, that's where the launch and adjust comes in. Yeah, it's called tacking. And yes. you go sideways and then sideways and sideways. And so you're going at angles into the wind 
to allow the wind to actually work against itself to propel you forward. So whatever it is that is many times the, the things that we are most wanting to run away from are the ones, the things that are most beneficial. I tell people, I would not wish my life onto anyone, but I would not change anything because I would not be the man I am if I did. And so now I'm not wanting people to go out and run around and say, okay, you know, adversity, come find me. I'm ready for you. Uh, but, you know, Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called Enthusiasm Makes the Difference. And I don't know if you know who Norman Vincent Peale is, um, but this is a really neat book. Uh, he was one of the early, early motivational guys on the circuit, like Zig Ziglar and, and those that same era. And what he did was, um, I, you know, he wrote this book, and I'm a word guy, and Natalie knows this. And so you break out the word enthusiasm, the two meanings, as the first part is ixus, which is God in the Greek. And the the last part is ism, which is great for within. The word enthusiasm literally means God within. So this is not a religious concept. This is a spiritual concept. And so Norman would say, when a problem started coming down the hall, he goes, where have you been all my life? I've been waiting for you and I'm prepared. You know, instead of saying and running away and putting your head in the sand saying, why me? So it's a, you know, I think Lenko, where you were saying, it's that mindset of what do we accept? What is, you know, normal quote, or what is abnormal? Uh, people tell me I have the perfect family. I go, would you spend 24 hours within my family and say that we're just like everybody else? We just don't identify. We don't talk about it. We don't use it as a, here's another word. We don't rationalize because rationalize when we do something along those lines, if you break out that word is rational lies. Every rationalization literally is a lie that we have created to substantiate doing or not doing something instead of just owning up to it and saying, this is my decision. And this is something that that's, that you've spoke touched on now, but it is also it's about how do we take adversity ad, adversity and how do we almost challenge it or work around it or work with it, but to get through it on the other side instead of allowing it to almost paralyze you to think, okay, you know what, I can't do it. And this again goes with labeling yourself as I can't do X, Y, and Z because I've got A, B, and C, instead of saying, well, because I've got A, B, and C, let me see how I can work with it, how I can deal with it and work around it. Because it's not denying that you've got something or you struggling with something, but it's not allowing it to almost stop you from doing what you want to do. I mean, one of the the things that that Lenka and I often talk about is introversion. Both of us are introverts, but we are different types of introverts. And quite often we can use introversion as, well, I won't go out. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to socialize because I'm an introvert. Instead of it's taking it and thinking, okay, how can I use that in a way that helps me to 
do something that I want to do or pushes me forward or how do I work it is I can still do things that extroverts do, but I might just need to take a break or sit in a dark corner for half an hour or something. But it's working with it instead of you allowing it to become an excuse. And you can do the same things with, with ADHD or as you did with MS. It's finding a way to almost take what a diagnosis or or a, I'm going to say the, the word labeling, but not owning it as that is the only part that's you there's so much more to everybody but it's finding a way of pushing through it or working around it, the launching and, and adjusting and okay how can I use this the and I'm using the ADHD because Lenka brought that up earlier if I've been diagnosed with ADHD how can I use it as a strength to help me what tools do I need to help me to to carry on doing what I want to do instead of just putting the brakes on and like, okay, that's it now. I can't do anything because of it. Does that sort of make sense? Am I on the right track there? Because I, I know you will put me right. You make me sound so terrible. I don't You're not do terrible. The, the, you know, what I do is ask questions and you guys, oh, why did you, you know, it's like, it's just a question. I'm not telling. I'm just, you know, asking. But, you mentioned uh, COVID. You know, none of us enjoy going through COVID, but what it did is made doing what we're doing right now normal. And when you look at ADHD or uh, an introvert, normally when you're using a label like that, it's a label of comparison. So you look at, well, we're introverts. Well, what's the opposite of an introvert? We live in a binary duality world. Up, down, right, wrong, all that. So we say, you're an extrovert and I'm an introvert. Okay, so what are the benefits? And so instead of looking at now, society will say, your drivers and extroverts are the two better, quote, personalities, because those are the ones that people see. But what most people don't understand is most actors, actresses, speakers, we're introverts. Now, my wife argues with me because she's a true introvert. She is one of you guys, and she doesn't like people and going out and whatever. And, but I don't party either. I enjoy the connection. I enjoy the relationships. I enjoy speaking, but I'm as happy in the back of a room as being on stage. So I don't need the stage for validation. This is something else that I really connect to is that as long as we're looking for external validation, we will always be wanting. When we have internal validation, it will never be perfect, but it will always be enough. And so when we look at what, what are the benefits of being an introvert, you listen better. You're able to connect. You're not as threatening. You don't have that overpowering personality that people have a tendency to shrink or, you know, whatever, or think that they're egotistical. You know, and here's something else is that when you get a room full of introverts together, they sound like extroverts. So it's about environment as well. And having your, giving yourself permission to have a seat at the table. And it's an internal permission. This is, a, you don't wait for permission. 
You know, we have been taught that, particularly, and I, I, I'm guessing, you know, in Europe is very much the same thing. Uh, my wife went to school in Spain in college, so she has more of a reflection on this. But over here, as soon as a baby walks and talks, they're told to shut up and sit down. And then we're taught in school, you have to have permission to go to the bathroom, permission to talk. You stay in your straight line. You don't get out of line. You don't, I mean, so we're putting these boxes. But that's an external thing that we have been taught. And the great news, if we were taught that, we can adjust to something else. But that comes from inside, not outside. And when we do that, there's going to be people that won't like it, by the way. So, you know, you, uh, oh, who's the guy, uh, the Virgin Airlines, sir? Richard Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson. Uh, you know, he says, if you're not out there being shot, you're not out there far enough. So it's like, you know, he actually to be sued. And I don't go that far. I don't want that. But but the thing is, is that there is something about what we're doing when we leave. And I've had people for a very long time, particularly friends and family. They go, you left me. And I go, I didn't leave you. You chose not to come with me. And you, the, the 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 train has a very long car system, so you can jump on it any time. But what it is is they're feeling their internal, you know, why not me when they didn't choose to leave their comfort zone. I, I use the analogy of the black crab. You, like you're you're seeing me. I tell stories, but you know, not the black crab, but the uh, hermit crab. The hermit crab grows inside of a shell. And at some point has a decision to make. Either it leaves that shell and become totally vulnerable until it finds a new larger shell or die in the old shell. And it's exactly the human nature. We have points where we, if we don't choose to leave and become totally vulnerable, writing a book is one of the most scary things in the world. Because when you're a speaker, People forget what you said, unless you're recording it and people go back. But when it's in print, you go crud. You know, that that's when people start underlining and whatever. And say, well, this, that's not true. Well, okay. And that's also why I say this is my story. It's a story, not the story. It's not the way. My way had, doesn't have to be your way. Everybody has a uniqueness and the permission to engage in that. And what most people don't understand is that when they stand in their light, other people just like you will follow that light. And you touched on some of the topics I've been thinking and talking about quite a lot. And one of them is the seeking external validation or even simply seeking advice externally. Because as you said, from... The moment we're born, we're taught to listen to others, listen to parents, listen to teachers, listen to bosses, listen to doctors, listen to experts. And especially as business owners, especially as professionals, I always say that starting a business is the biggest personal development journey a person can ever go on because it really forces you to rethink things and to be vulnerable and look inwards because in this crazy, busy, noisy world when we're trying to establish a business, create a brand, be seen and followed by people who we want to help, 
we need to find this uniqueness, our unique flavor, something that will make us favorite to certain amount of people that will attract the right people to follow us so we can help them. But we are not taught to think for ourselves. We're not taught to really look within and trust our gut. And it's so difficult after all these years to then be like, hey, I now know who I am and now I know who my values are and I know how to live by them. And it resonates even with you talking about writing a books and lots of people along the way have told me, oh, Lenka, you should write a book. And I'm like, but what about? I still feel like I'm in the middle of my journey. I'm still in, in the transformation. And I don't have, as you said, the story to say, because I'm still figuring it out. So what advice would you have to someone who is in this position where they're still learning to listen within, they're still trying to find themselves, and who still think that they're too much in the process, in the middle of the journey to see any kind of a bigger picture to be able to share it with the world. Wow. Uh, you got about three hours. Uh, the, um, the, the first thing is to understand the more that I know, the more that I know that I don't know. When I was 20, I was in search of the answer. As I've grown older, I have switched that out is I'm looking for the question that leads me to an answer that leads me to a better question. So I'm in search of questions, not answers. And so that also keeps me humble. It keeps me centered. And the understanding for me, and this is also, again, not religious, but people will say, oh, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. And I go, I'm smart enough to listen. I call it the nudge. And this is a spiritual, whether you believe in the infinite intelligence, a stream of consciousness, whatever you call it, there is something outside of us that's giving us information. The intuition that we have been given as human beings is not us talking to us. And so we go out and it's not wrong to ask people around us. What are your thoughts? This gives us an awareness of things that we may not be aware of. But to come to our own conclusion then, because how many times have we made a decision because of what somebody else said and it didn't work out? And the first thing we said to ourselves, well, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Then why did you? We gave up our empowerment. That's another word that we don't really understand because we think of empowerment is, you know, Hercules, Xena, Princess, Warrior, Slash and Burn, you know, you know, get out of my way. Empowerment is that all that that knowing that I am making my decision, that decision will lead me to a consequence. And this is your critical thinking, that that consequence, whether it be what's the life learned from that that event. My very first event that I put on, uh, I invested uh, right around between twenty-five and thirty thousand dollars to put it on, and I had absolutely nobody even inquire about it. This was back in again. This is back in the day. I'm not going to give you the the year because now you're going to start figuring out about how old I am. But the thing is, is that in today's dollars. That was over $90,000 that I literally lost. But if I, what did I learn from that? Was that happy? I, I, I must be a great salesperson because my wife did not divorce me. 
And, you know, but is that a lot of money? Absolutely. Was it fun? No. Did it hit me in my gut about my own validity? Did I have anything? You know, it just like, but if I hadn't gone through that and took the risk, I wouldn't be on the world stages that I am today and producing the events that I produce. It was part of the journey, not the end destination. And so giving ourselves permission, in fact, John Maxwell talks about failing forward. Failure is not the end of it unless we allow it to be. And allow it again, then when we have something that doesn't work, if we allow that to be our, our identity, you know, then what do we do with it? It's like uh, I met a, a, a young man, he's in his 30s last week, and uh, he's African-American, was born in Mississippi down in the deep south. You know, he had just all the ugliness that you can think of around the cotton fields, whatever. He moved to uh, uh, Springfield, Missouri, thinking that it was going to be better. It wasn't. He ended up marrying an Asian lady, which the her parents thought she was terrible for marrying a black man. I mean, they were just kidding, whatever. And so they're here in Colorado. And last October, they became homeless because of COVID, because they have a home cleaning business and nobody wanted them in their homes. And so here they are living in their cars. And I, it, it was just so funny because I, I, I said, it was at the end of our discussion and he had mentioned something that, you know, with everything they are going through. And I said, what is it that you're going through? He says, do you really want to know? And then he told me a story, but that wasn't the end of the story. He said, my wife, it has told me that going through this experience with him, he has become the man that she had wanted to marry. So what is it that what we think is terrible, what is that, not to stay there, not to, again, allowing it to be, uh, you know, people with different stories. That's why I don't, the MS Society, the Multiple Sclerosis Society has never asked me to speak for them. I have, but I've spoken for the uh, National Headache Foundation. I have spoken for the Stroke Association, all of because it's about identity. It, the MS didn't like it because I didn't use drugs. So that's just one of those things. But I am not an MS speaker. I am a business speaker that also attaches adversity because every business, every life. Also, I'm a weird kind of coach because I people have asked me, am I a business coach or a life coach? And I'd say I'm a business coach that includes life because you can't separate the two. One affects the other. And so as we go through things and we have the the community, the support that we can create around us and be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I screwed up or I'm not perfect or whatever it might be. And, and in fact, that's what people want. They want real people. That's why we were talking, Natalie was talking about that you can adjust flubs and stutters and whatever out of this. And I'm going... They don't want speakers that are thespians anymore. You know, I, I will lose my place. I will do whatever. And I'll say words that aren't words. And because of that, people look at me and they go, well, if Gary can do it, I can do it. They say he is someone real. And I'm the same on stage as I am off stage. You're the same person. 
don't be two different things or I'm the same person in business as I am in my personal life. There's no difference. Did I cover what you asked? <laughs> and I, I really love what you're saying because failure is almost seen as this bad thing, but it's, it's a learning. It's, it's a lesson. And I, I love, you know, telling people about it or even for myself is failure is a lesson and it's, it's a process that you go through because you learn from it. What can you do better next time? What do you need to change? How does it work? And if we look at, at anybody in life and at their failures is what have they learned? And, and failure has become this, almost this bad word, this dirty word that that is used and it's it's now um especially here in the UK it, it's almost like a non-existent word anymore there's no you can't use the word failure because you might harm the children or damage the children and it's but failure is is a powerful tool it's actually a a fantastic tool that 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 we learn from and if you go back to to kids walking I mean you don't just most kids crawl before they walk and then they try and then they fall on their butt and then they fall. That's they're learning from that. They're learning from that experience that that store, the stories you have been sharing with us, you know, about your experiences or conversations that you've had with people. It just shows the, the power of failures, the power of, of something happening. And it's like, okay, what I do from it, what can I learn from it? How do I become a a better version of myself through it? How do I find a way to change it? Or what great lessons have I learned that I need to keep from this because they are actually helping me? It's not always about changing something. It could be that actually I need to keep this because this has helped me to find my strength or find my way of doing it. And one of the the things that that I often talk about, and I think you know, you and I talk about it, is uniqueness and the humanness. And it is about being who you are. It is about just showing the way that you maybe stumble or just being you. Because when people come into your circle, they want the you that they've been seeing to get into your circle and if all of a sudden you're a different person it breaks that connection and I think especially now and this is very much my personal opinion what's going on now is we need to be more of us we need to show our true selves more and we need to be more unique or more authentic or not putting on that persona that you know put on that professional suit and go and be that professional because we need to be who we are, I think, all the time. And this is just something that I'm starting to learn about, to understand. And it's it's been a process for me to get that. And I love how you have shared that you are who you are, whether it's on stage or at home or I know in your membership or when we have conversations with one-to-one -one or in groups you are who you are and I and I it's it's nice that it's not the permission but to to know that 
I'm on the right track because you are doing it. Does that make sense? And, and your permission to be you. Something that also as we're being formulated as children is that in school, normally you turn in a test or a report and it has, you, when it's given back to you is marked in red, everything that you did wrong. And there's a Canadian system that when you get your paper back, it's marked in green, everything you did right. Because, you know, looking at my events where virtually I lost, but in essence, I invested $90,000. The one thing I can say is the one thing I did right was I did something. Did I get the result that I wanted? No. Was it painful? Yes. But what did I learn? And the only time that failure is final is when, again, you quit. You, you just say, well, they can do it them you know whoever they are but you know it, it's um you know the the movie's rocky you know it just hit me again i can take it now i don't suggest telling people to hit you but the thing is is that life will take a swing i mean there there if it was easy and simple now see what it is is what we do is fairly simple but not easy and people want easy and simple but if it was, there would be no challenge and nobody would do it anyway. Because it wouldn't be valuable. So it's just, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a matter of attuning yourself to who you are, valuing what you do, and also not comparing yourself to anybody else that does what you do. Now, yesterday on my group, Natalie was there and there was another new person on the group call that is, she was talking about mindset and whatever. And I said, hey, Natalie, you and, you know, Elite, or, uh, Angela needs to, uh, to connect. But they're similar people, but they do a difference. They will relate to different, but together, because there is no competition. If I compete with you, I, because of my personality, will allow you to win. I will back up. But if I only compete with myself, I always win. And they give me permission to be in the game and to receive. Because I also ask people this, is it better to, now Natalie, you can't answer. Uh, Lenka, is it better to give or to receive? Well, I think... You know, both are really nice, but it's always better to give it because oh. even if you're giving, you're still receiving. Okay, so here's the second question. How can you give without first receiving? Well, that's the thing. I don't think you can give without having the feeling of, hey, I did something good, I helped someone. It is it's linked. If you're giving, you are receiving. So I was speaking at an event uh, at a conference here a week and a half ago. And there was a woman there that was dealing with this because I was speaking about some of this from stage. And I said, if somebody was to give you $10,000 today, right now in cash, what would you do with it? And she goes, I would give it to here and I would give it to this organization and I'd give it to there and whatever. And I said, that is exactly why you don't have $10,000 right now. You don't have permission to receive for yourself. She had not put herself into the equation. So this is one of those things where 
there's a, a another question I ask a lot is when does it feel bad to feel good? People say give till it hurts. Why not give until it feels great? But you have to receive before you can give at that level. And it, it's a it, it's more than a mindset because we can look at the mindset, but unless we practice it, it will never have, we will never have ownership of the process. And we will still divert money away from us. We will, you know, because, you know, we know money is bad. And, you know, I was raised that way. You know, you have to be evil and a crook to be wealthy. That was my mother, you know? And so there's a whole dynamic there that I won't go into today. But <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that, what is it that has been put on your heart to receive and also to be able to give? And then it's a matter of packaging that. It's about allowing what you have and understanding the community that you want to impact on how they want it. And so, and you know, Natalie has heard me say this so much of the time that there's three keys that I teach. Be seen. Don't be the best kept secret. If you're hiding in plain sight, you're not doing yourself or anyone else any good. Number two, to be safe. And I mean that my definition is no agenda. Coming on with you guys today, I don't have an agenda. I mean, if somebody happens to come to me, you know, for something later on, it's wonderful. But my agenda is to serve and to just be with you guys, to explore concepts and for me to learn from you as well as you know, exchanging ideas, it's a symbiotic, it's an exchange. And the third thing is to be relevant. Do you have what is needed, wanted, and then how do they want it delivered? And if you have those elements, you will be successful. The gestation period, the period of when you plant the seed and get a harvest, that's the variable. And so many times people quit right before success. And I'm really glad that you touched on the there's no competition because it's one of my approaches in business and marketing as well. It's um, I don't see any people in the same field because I work in marketing. Come on, there's so many marketers, there's so many digital marketers, there's so many people like that. So it's so easy to just feel overwhelmed by the competition looking outside. But I love that you put it in like just competing with yourself and you will always win. But for me, it's also connected to abundance mindset, to really believe that actually our world is full of opportunities and there is plenty for everyone. There's plenty of customers, there's plenty of money, there's plenty of energy. And just coming to every interaction with a person, with as you beautifully summarize it now, with no expectations, just give, just learn, connect. And yet... Obviously, when we have certain types of conversations, we know that these conversations will be sales conversations. There's nothing wrong about knowing that we're going into an interaction for it to be a sales conversation. But often people will immediately have the fear of, you know, am I good enough? Will they choose me? Do they have enough money? Are they the right client for me? And that comes down to an abundance mindset of thinking, well, this might not be the right client, Every any prospect is not a client, as the same as every date is not a husband partner material. 
but we still have to go through multiple dates in most cases to find the one so we can we have to go through multiple sales conversations with prospects to find a client and i really love how you touched on this do you have anything more to add to on this well, you know something that is a side to that is again going back to words is i encourage people to get rid of the word selling and replacing it with sharing because when we sell we are again we have an agenda we are wanting someone to do something that we want them to do when we want them to do it so there's an agenda that people will feel and they'll look for the hook if i'm sharing so if a brick and mortar store you go into a you, you walk by a store they have gone in unlock the door turn the lights on and showcase what's on the inside that is selling but it's sharing and those that want that type of product or service that's in the store will come through the door out of curiosity i want people to come in and explore who i am what i do if my not just the topic is the right topic but is the style do they relate to me do they trust me enough to give me all of the facts of what's going on or are they going to you know just give me a little bit like with you in marketing if you don't have the total picture it's garbage in garbage out just like in computer programming it's just like okay well i didn't know that piece so i gave you a program for what you gave me which is not so i like you said it's not we're not going to be the match for everyone but that's also where we can become connectors we can become the referral source to people around the world and to be able to serve them in a way that we become relevant as that resource now in the business world having affiliate programs getting referral fees if people have them why not receive them there's nothing wrong with it as long as we tell people that you know i'm not doing it for that but if you do something there you know there is a referral affiliate fee that's coming through but it's not the purpose of it but when you have this then there people it's a lot more fun you become what i call a people magnet when you have no agenda and that is so much fun now my wife is a psychotherapist 90 percent of my clients are female i do not market to women and when we're starting people they'll tell me things they go I don't know why I'm telling you this and they keep on talking and I'm going TMI, TMI, TMI. And my wife will go, how did you get them? And I go, I get it. I was, but I was safe because I don't also, my, my style is Socratic. It's from Socrates. It's the ability to listen and to ask questions for you to come up with your answer. And I think that's one of the areas why women do respond to me so much is there's no agenda, there's no arterial motive, and I'm not there to fix them. That's what men like to do. They like to fix. And um, yeah, my husband, he does. If I come with a problem, instead of just allowing me to talk it, it's like, uh, you know, have you done this? Have you done this? But one thing is you, you've touched on on so much. You, you've shared so much information and you know, we can talk for hours on, on this. And I know I love having our conversations, Gary, and all your stories, but I also know that, you know, time is, is precious for our listeners, for, for, um, you know, us. So before we sort of 
close down and I'm sure we're going to be having you back on to share some more stories and to dig deeper into ideas and that is there something that you you thinking I'd love to share this nugget or is there a point you want to reiterate or just a last sort of thought or idea or gold nugget that that you can share with us you know for me it's the concept of launch and adjust when I was growing up, my definition of courage was no fear, movement with no fear. And it's adjusted to action in the presence of fear, because the unknown is always going to be fear producing. And fear can immobilize or propel you forward. And I, I have so many stories around what I've heard from different people, the things that uh, even my MS story where I could have allowed the fear of the unknown and what my body was not in my control at that moment, or actually ever. Um, but I took action without, again, any promise or definite understanding that it was going to make a difference, that I was going to survive it. And so whatever is on someone's heart, take the next step. I'm not... You know, See, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So pace yourself. But that movement is what's going to lead to, quote, success, whatever that looks like for that individual person. So jump into the water, it's fine. You can never learn how to swim without getting wet. I love that jump into the water. It's fine. And it is, it's taking that first step. It's just moving and it's the, the launch and, and adjusting. Uh, so thank you so much to, you know, for sharing, giving, sharing your time with us today, for sharing your, your knowledge experiences. So before we leave off, if somebody is listening to this and think I need to get into Gary's world, I need to reach out to him. How can they reach out to you? I answer all of my individual emails, uh, Gary at GaryBarnesInternational.com. Uh, I always give away a free gift when I'm on shows, if it's available. Uh, you can go to FreeGiftFromGary.com. And it's in, uh, a 30-day inclusion into my group program that Natalie is a part of. And I do two group Zoom mastermind calls per month. And... Uh, if a person is not able to be on live, they get the recordings of the MP3 and the MP4 the next day, along with the chat. But it's truly a, a group of support. It's an international group. So uh, everyone is welcome to check that out as well. Thank you so much. And we will we will put all the links so that people can connect to you uh, should they want to, should they want to come and take advantage of your free gift as well worth a visit. So again, thank you so much for spending your morning, our late afternoon with us today. And um, it's been it's been wonderful to have you almost on the other side than me being in the group. You're now part of my little world, if that makes sense. But thank you so much. I, you know, we really appreciate it. You've given us and shared so much with us, and I'm sure you can, we're going to be getting you back on to dig deeper into some of these topics. So again, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation, 
please share it with your friends and colleagues and don't forget to subscribe. We would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and write a short review.